This is the Permaculture Podcast, and I am Scott Mann. Today's interview is the second roundtable recorded at Clear Creek in mid-April 2016. As I stepped away to read to my children, an ongoing tradition of ours from whenever I'm on the road, Eric Perrow of The Push sat in as the guest host. Eric and the chair led to a conversation covering the work of the folks in and around Clear Creek and what permaculture means to them in practice. That began with a look at the history of the area by Philip and moved to what draws us to community and the traditions we build as a result. During the conversation, we hear from Eric, Jeremy Zimmerman, author of Make Me Like a Viking, Ziggy from The Year of Mud, and many other folks who joined us for the evening, including Sam and Brooke from Louisville, lots of folks from around the community, many of whom have interned with Susanna Lane of Salamander Springs Farm, as well as two of Susanna's three current interns, Patrick and Ben. A quick shout out to those interns. Ben, if you hear this, I swear I'm reading Saga and it's awesome. Patrick, you and everyone else at Salamander Springs are more than welcome to visit us at Seppi's place when you get a chance. I'd love to see you all again, so drop me a line sometime. As we get started, I would like to thank the listeners who donate to the show, either by becoming recurring members at Patreon or who donate directly to the show. The podcast couldn't exist without you. And you'll find links to either of those in the show notes. The sponsors also provide a part of what helps this work continue. So thank you to Permi Kids, Inside Edge Design, Broken Ground Permaculture, The Good Seed Company, and Your Garden Solution. Be sure to visit them and find out more about the great work each of them are doing to create the world we want to live in. Now then, on to the folks at Clear Creek. I'll join you again afterwards. My name's Eric, and I'm from thepush.org, and I'm honored to be sitting here in the, in the Scott seat, helping guest, guest chair this podcast. And I, I guess, for me, I'm, I'm really happy that everyone's kind of moving toward the table, because I think that's where this podcast should go, and that's where I want to, want to see it happen. Scott was down here over last summer, and we did one of these podcasts, and we just sort of talked about what is permaculture to all of us. I'm sure most of us here kind of remember that discussion. It was, it was really good. And what I'd like to see now is that we had that conversation, and we talked about the very theoretical concepts of what is permaculture to all of us, and I think maybe this is a good time to continue that again, and maybe to talk about what, what have we done in the last eight, nine months since that podcast came? What are the projects that we have worked on here in Clear Creek? And what are the things that everyone's been excited about? What are those, what are those big projects? And what is permaculture to us in practice? If anyone has anything to say on that, on that subject, just grab a mic. I know we've done a few things. <laughs> okay, well, I, I will take the first shot at this, and it's going to be from a completely different, different perspective. My name is Philip. And I, my family's been on Clear Creek for a long time. So I look at permaculture through a, a lens of history. And I, I see two or three or four or five structures on this creek that have survived uh, maybe a couple of hundred years in some cases. And I have to consider them in some way to be permaculture because they are here and they have created a community that in fact has come and gone and maybe come again. And we're all here kind of talking about how to make it permanently a community. So that's where I see permaculture kind of forming below, below the idea of community. So permaculture is something that uh, is uh, kind of taking advantage of what's available to us right now. Uh, there's a stone house up the creek here that Kathy and I live in, and 
you know, it's unlike anything that anyone's talking about at this table. It's made out of stone from the hillsides up behind the house. And uh, cedar, cedar, uh, rather a chestnut wood that was cut from um, dying trees from the, uh, from the blight that occurred in the 20s and 30s. So that was advantageous for them. But now cedar is a totally ridiculous thing to use because if it's, it's expensive and it's coveted. Uh, rocks are still available, but, you know, there's another difficulty around that, too. The house that we all share here is an old farmhouse that started out as a, uh, a log house. And logs have its, has its many advantages and many disadvantages, which you folks on Anglin Falls are going to be finding out about. But it's a good place to start. You know, it, there's an old tradition around using logs as a starting place. So this house was also built around taking advantage of what was available at the time. So the first thing they grabbed were poplar, poplar logs and stacked up a house. I'm sure it wasn't very comfortable, but they made it comfortable over time using what was advantageous to take at the time. So permaculture also means leaving something, leaving fertility and leaving the ability of the ground and the community to be resilient. So it's, it's, it's a bigger picture when you look at it from a historical standpoint. Thanks, Phil. You know, also anyone who, who is maybe just here in the, for the first time at the table, what, what are things you've seen? What is, what is like sort of, what striked you? What is a cool thing you've seen down here? Well, this is my first time at this table. Uh, not my first time on the Permaculture Podcast, but, and I've lived in Berea for many years. I grew up in Northern Kentucky, by the way. This is Jeremy Zimmerman. And I am surprised that I've lived in Berea, which is barely 15 miles out of Clear Creek for many years. And I'm only just realizing what a, kind of a community is going on here and it's it's the kind of thing I've always felt should exist I grew up in northern Kentucky with parents who bought a dilapidated old farmhouse over 100 years old and knew nothing about what they were doing you know over the years it it was all kinds of different things visually I can remember it being completely different than what it is now but just like just like you guys were talking about with the um the different types of building. We, we tried a little bit of everything. We certainly didn't go as far as cob building and that sort of thing. But yeah, it's just the idea of you, you learn as you go along. There were many times growing up when that house was not very comfortable. But you know, we dealt with it. We got through the winter. We did what we had to do. And we tore down the last thing we'd built and we started over and built something better. So, you know, having grown up in that kind of a culture and then seeing what everybody's doing here, it inspires me and makes me realize that there are a lot more people with the mindset that I've always had as far as the homesteading sort of thing, whatever you want to call it, permaculture, where there's there's a community of like-minded people. For a long time, I felt like I grew up that way. I occasionally met some people here and there who seemed interested in that sort of thing but it, when I moved back to Berea I, I moved out to the Pacific Northwest for a while and I came back here and realized just you know that, that there's a whole community of people and as I started traveling and doing workshops people are really passionate about coming back to this way of life whatever you want to call it natural living permaculture modern homesteading I just call it living I mean, that's, just, that's what it used to be called, <laughs> and that's what it is now. So whether or not that touches upon what, what the focus is here right now, that's kind of, those are my thoughts on the matter. Yeah, great. I think you, you sort of continue the thought that Susanna 
brought up right at the end, which is that community is so important. We spend a lot of time doing very practical things, growing gardens, building houses, experimenting. But, you know, a lot of it comes down to uh, do we still enjoy it at the end of the day? I think that's why we all love being around each other so much. I don't know if you, if everyone looks at the, a lot of people were here for this meeting, but this is the remnants of a quite a large community vision process um, where folks that lived here on the creek got together and we just started talking about what are projects that we can all sort of work on together. How can we be a more resilient community outside of all of our individual spaces? And there's some pretty incredible projects out there. A lot of have been started, a lot to be started. I would certainly like to come down and visit more and help with that sort of thing. I'm about 15 minutes away. But we're, I, we're starting to do that same thing in Berea, where I live in town. Our neighborhoods are starting to get together for so long. I felt like I was pretty much doing this thing on my own. I'm trying to garden. I'm trying to make booze and grow food and, and learn how to ferment and making so many mistakes in the process and learning. But just one person and their family doing it. I mean, you really, like Susanna said, it's not self-sufficiency. It's community sufficiency. You need other people who are like-minded to help you with your projects to rather than taking several months to years to realize oh i was doing this the wrong way the whole time you can talk to somebody else and they give you an idea and you're like oh that's how it works and you 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 cut who much who knows how much time off of your learning curve community is a great thing Uh, I can follow up to that. Uh, This is Leah. I'm one of the residents here at the Swinford House. Like Eric said, we've been having this uh, community vision meeting, hopefully one of many to come. And that's actually what I wanted to bring up at the end of what Susanna was saying, and now Jeremy, about about this uh, shift from the the need to be self-sufficient to being like co-reliant. I don't know. And I guess I just think back to the, the way that I grew up, which was in a suburb of Florida, <laughs> much different than here. <laughs> and I don't know. I feel like I feel like the drive or need for community is present even in those like modern uh, worlds, uh, such as a suburb or a subdivision, but not in a way that actually creates reliance on one another and the group here has specifically Lauren and I have talked a lot about what a community actually means or like our a vision of community and it's not just like living near each other and hanging out it's it's also like what what are we doing what are you doing how can we combine what we're doing to create a better whole so yeah I really feel like that's something that's blossoming here on the creek especially as like more and more like-minded interested folks by land around the creek like Ziggy and April and the push crew etc yeah I feel like if we all like stay connected in these ways and like keep having these bigger higher level conversations then we will begin to see like where each each piece of the puzzle fits together so so we don't all have to be like redundant in one local community we can do what we want to be doing and not have to not everyone has to have a cow in their pasture because Amy does. <laughs> <laughs> For us, what projects we practically work on, I think, that gives us codependence has been interesting and what we've prioritized over the past few months. I know we, we, when we first got here, we spent some months just sort of feeling it out. What is this space about? Phil and I were talking about this just today. You know, who, who are we? What is our role here? What is this place about? What can we do? How would we be appreciated? And, you know, after those few months we found ourselves starting to dig swales of a 
quite large communal food forest project that we've started and that we're continually growing. And hopefully with the Permaculture Action Network coming out here, was it June 4th, uh, we can even grow it much faster. But, you know, we've been working on that project. We've been growing a lot of food here because we just started um, a big workshop space. I don't know if anyone wanted to talk about that a little bit. But basically, we just had, we had an idea over the winter that we looked around and we had all, we have a lot of potlucks, we have a lot of dinners, and we just saw a lot of people having just a lot of skills. Our community is rich with people who just know how to do th- different things. Let's start basically a little bit of a communal workshop space and, and be able to share those skills with people. So that was a beautiful thing. And, you know, over the winter, we had some snowy days. One day, 18 inches of rain if I, or snow, if I remember correctly, which, you know, sent a few of us in the office space over at Phil and Kathy's house and we just built the website. And, and that, that creates now codependency, right? Now we're all working on that specific project together, just like Food Force is Wednesdays. You know, we know what people are doing on Wednesday. We know how to help out on those projects. We know for the Clear Creek Schoolhouse project that this workshop space that, you know, it's not going to happen unless we all come together and do it. And we all have different pieces. Maybe some people are really good at creating posters. Maybe some people are really good at coordinating different workshops. But, you know, this all happens because of codependency. And I think that's, that is a, a piece that I think is working out really well here on the, on the creek. Uh, I don't know if there's other, other things you want to talk about, projects like this. Uh, this is Ziggy again. On the theme of community, I think one of the big unspoken projects that you know is not visible or is not tangible, like building or gardening or constructing food forests and digging swales and all that exciting stuff, is how to not only create a intact social culture but maintaining it over time. And that's something I think all of us don't necessarily have a lot of experience with doing because we're coming from different parts of the country and uh, you know most of us are from that mainstream culture that is so transient and is so detached from place and is so devoid of long-term social connections and here we all are in this one place trying to live that social dream too of creating a community that has not just ecological longevity, but social longevity. There's a number of us that have had children just in the past six months, and I get really excited about the idea of my child growing up one day and, you know, being an adult and making the decision to possibly stay here and live here. And that might not be their path, but even if it's not just instilling in my child the idea of creating meaningful social relationships that have depth and have longevity versus constantly bouncing around looking for something new not maintaining relationships because it's quite frankly a lot easier to you know get frustrated get upset get annoyed in a certain place with certain people and to say eh you know what i can go somewhere else and be happy but like how do we maintain happiness with the people that are around us even in times of difficulty or times of that are challenging to those relationships so there's lots of skills in the realm of i guess you could say social permaculture that we have all 
could probably all use practice in, you know, whether it's good communication or better conflict resolution or how to make decisions together that are, you know, meaningful and incorporate everyone's ideas. And that's like probably the hardest part, you know, for, I think that will be the hardest part for all of us because we can figure out how to build a good building. We can figure out how to grow cucumbers and tomatoes and grow oak trees and plant, you know, all these amazing plants and keep those going. But how do we keep the social culture intact and strong and, and healthy? Yeah. Thank you for that. I think that's a a very good point that sometimes we, we overlook. And I, Maslow's hierarchy of needs comes to me in this moment, which is something that I, that I really enjoy. And for those who are unfamiliar, you sort of have, what is it? Food, water, shelter, basically at the bottom, you know? And if we, when we first started introducing ourselves and we all kind of first got to know each other, this is where we came from, right? This space, the, this, this food, water, shelter, this. And once you get that figured out, then those are the questions we got to start answering. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if, you, if I'm putting you on the spot, Ziggy, but I don't know if you want to talk about your father blessing at all. I think that was a, a beautiful piece of this sort of functional culture that we're sort of starting to establish here. This is Ziggy again. I think one piece of creating a healthy social culture is ritual. Um, and this is something I don't feel well versed in necessarily, but just I at least have this innate sense that ritual is critical to that sort of intact social culture that I was re referring to earlier. Where I formerly lived at Dancing Rabbit Eco Village in Missouri, there were any number of ways that that particular community tried to instill ritual in the day-to-day -day life of the group. And there was anything from, you know, regular potlucks to song circles to men's group discussions to anything you could think of to try to establish this sense of ritual and pattern and and a specific type of ritual is is of course the type that happens you know at momentous times in one's life and my partner april was pregnant over winter due to give birth in march and in the end of february we decided to have a mother blessing ritual, which is sort of like a baby shower, but not really because it's, we're coming together more to celebrate the, the mother and that transition versus, you know, basically welcoming a baby with a bunch of weird plastic gifts and <laughs> diapers and all that stuff. So I felt it would be really nice to have not just the mother blessing, but some way for the men to come together because it, in, at least in, you know, our conventional American culture, there's not a lot of ways that men come together and gather to s celebrate or commune in that way. So what we did was really pretty simple. I mean, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like a big to do, but it was, really nice and that we all took time to walk the creek together in silence and then at some undetermined point in time we just stopped and sat in a circle and talked about periods in our life where we experienced great change and 
uh, for me personally, I got to see a whole different side to a lot of the men that were present in that discussion. You know, they were sharing things they might not have normally talked about in day-to-day life. And I got to hear stories about just all manner of uh, life experiences that these men who are a part of my community have gone through. And I just felt that that was such a valuable experience for me and something I would like to try to do more of in the future. And just because I think ritual is such a critical piece to creating that glue that binds us as a, as a community and creating strong bonds between us. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Go ahead, Joseph. This is Joseph and I'm, uh, I'm novice towards permaculture, but I'm finding myself drawn into it pretty quick, pretty much trial by fire. So I I lived at a a yoga ashram in New Zealand for two years, big period in my life. If you know me, I've brought it up. And at this community, their practices weren't permaculture. Their practices were yoga and instilled in the, in the everyday culture of this place was a structure of ritual. Everything was ritualistic from the way, from the way that we approached our food to the way that we woke up in the morning, yoga in the mornings, a lot of mantra, and, 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 and then pretty elevated spiritual practices that just worked on changing the vibration of anyone who was there. And we weren't looking for particular results. It was just a matter of creating a space where everybody could come together, create that space together, and pivot everything on the repetitive actions of these rituals again and again and again and again. We didn't change them. We adapted if we needed to. Sometimes they were outside. One day the, uh, the rain was coming in through the roof because the roof wasn't finished. But we were there and we were all creating something. And those moments I find create beats of silence inside of the community, beats of togetherness that it just centers everyone and we all kind of look at each other with a little more honesty even if it's just for two minutes afterwards Uh, and then we go have some food and then i've had experiences where this these rituals weren't in place at all and it was chaotic it was it was madness i never knew what was going on and i suppose these rituals don't necessarily have to be spiritual in nature but maybe they do have to be sacred we do have to respect them Otherwise, they seem to just fall apart to kind of everyday habit. Uh, This is Leah again. So I guess just to follow up on that, I think that we, I guess specifically the community members in my life, but I can only talk for myself, are in a pretty like unique circumstance in a lot of ways in that, at least for me, I don't have a lot of like cultural traditions or rituals to draw on. And so sometimes it feels like really hard to bring these rituals into daily life because it's just like I don't know what to do (laughs) like how what do I even do because it's not something that's like been passed down but I think that's again a really unique circumstance because we can make it up (laughs) and it doesn't matter what it is like you're saying it's maybe just like ritual needs to be sacred like I'm sure there are some like common threads that need to apply to any form of ritual but it doesn't matter like before any like group dinner I always try to like encourage us to like 
say something even if it's just like uh, okay dinner <laughs> or you know just like little things it doesn't it doesn't have to be like four hail marys before bed or whatever so i don't know like this prospect is exciting to me to like to be in this position where we we don't just have to like accept something that has been handed down to us which has beauty in a lot of ways and in some ways i am envious that that exists in the world but in the context that I exist in, it's like thrilling to be like, yeah, I can just make this up. And if I can get other people who like think it's cool too, like all the better. And so I, yeah, I really see the role of that in community. We've been hosting um, like a spoken word. We call it open mouth night here. Um, we've done maybe four or five since last summer. And I feel like that is kind of becoming a community ritual on the creek. And like Ziggy was saying with his father blessing at these spoken word nights, we get the chance to see like this whole other side of people. And it's through this context of a ritual where in our daily lives, like, yeah, maybe we know Ziggy and the people in his in his household as the builders or the push crew as the builders or whatever. Then people get up there on the stage and it's one of Ziggy's housemates, Jacob, is this really like precise sharp guy but then he like plays the most like beautiful angelic guitar and sings to it you know it's just like seeing these like softer just like more expressive artistic creative sides of people and you know like we really like can get to know each other in a more full spectrum way and a big way to do that is through which ritual and holding space for each other so I'm just I'm just excited about it <laughs> Well, I guess there's a quite a big ritual that's been long-standing that's coming up here fairly soon. I don't know, Phil, if you want to mention that. Yeah, this is uh, a long-standing ritual, and, and in fact, I'm going to call it a ceremony. And I, if there's time, maybe I'm going to break break apart the ideas of ceremony and ritual. They're two different things, and they build upon one another. But coming up is the 152nd annual Swinford reunion, and I actually did a little research on the internet this time to make sure that there is. Uh, historical precedents to actually call this out as the 152nd, and, and there is. <laughs> so I did prepare a little two-page history of uh, Swinford Farm and how this, how this came to be and how, how we're here now. So maybe it'll be available on, uh, on the website at some point. Anyway, May 14th of this year is a gathering, and I don't have the notes with me, but we're going to be uh, continuing with the idea of building a new model. And the idea this year is using old models to build a new model with. So that starts tying us all together. Another aspect of this, this year's uh, gathering, and there's always a theme, is reaching out to our brothers and sisters. And we're just going to have to figure out what that means. That's part of the ceremony of, uh, of uh, getting together this year. Just saying, I think if we, if we have anyone who hasn't spoke yet wants to say a few words. Yeah, I'll throw in a quick bit on my thoughts on ritual and we'll... <clears throat> that discussion kind of resonated with me a little bit. I, what I'm seeing around this table and I'm seeing in a lot of workshops that I go to is it's somewhat a multi-generational thing, but I see a lot of people around my age, my generation, and I, I feel like we're almost starting some sort of a, like people have said, we're developing our own rituals. It almost seems like we're starting new, but we're drawing from inside of us we're drawing from the past we're trying to figure out what's worked for other people what you know what hasn't worked and i've thought a lot about ritual and a lot about ceremony and i I don't really feel like i have any myself that i connect to i talk in the book because i researched a lot about 
the history of fermentation, not just alcohol, but just fermentation in general. It was always a community thing, and there was always a great deal of ritual behind it, but it also coincided with the harvest, with you know all different phases of the year. Well, it's, a, it's an interesting piece, because when I hear you talk about this, it sounds very much so like fermentation is, a, is in context, right? Yes. It's, a, it's a part of a process. It's a, it's a part of a living life system. And unlike, say, canning, you, you know, try to get everything, you know, you're basically trying to kill off all the bacteria pretty much and put something in a static environment. Fermentation is just like us. It's, con- it's ongoing. It's continuing. Eventually, it breaks down and, and rots and turns into compost, just like all of us. So I, I think that's why f- fermentation in general has been such a huge part of a lot of cultures and a lot of indigenous cultures today still have strong fermentation rituals but even beyond fermentation i i like the idea of what people are talking about here about coming up with our own rituals and you know that one one i would like to get going around clear creek here i know people in around the Asheville, north carolina area and elsewhere that do mead circles so and it's not just about making your own mead it can be wine whatever but Everybody brings along something they made. People who haven't made anything are welcome to join as long as they're respectful. Maybe bring something else, something they bought along if they need to. But you just sit around, you pass around all these different, you know, homemade concoctions, and and it's a lot more. It's it's about a lot more than just sitting around and drinking booze. You get a even if you're just sipping on a bunch of different things, you get a whole different kind of a high, and. You know, it'll kind of, it, it draws things out in people, like with your father's circle. But it's just, it, it gives you an excuse to commune with people. And a little bit of alcohol might help kind of loosen some tongues and, you know. But it, it's just, it's the idea of taking a space and making that space into something, even if it's just temporary. And if you come back to that same space year after year, then that space itself becomes kind of a sacred thing. Well, first of all, I think you're going to have a lot of subscribers to that if you want to get it going. But I, it, to me, it sounds a lot like uh, something that we, we spend a good amount of time talking about, which is trying to increase the amount of intimacy that we have with our daily life. How can we be more connected to everything? You know, it's, it's like one thing to be drinking water out of a glass. You know, it's another thing to be drinking water that's from this hills out of a glass. And it's another thing to be drinking water from this hills that I made than a glass that I made myself. I see that getting around and you're all you're sharing each other's abundance and you're sharing each other's. It's a beautiful thing. But I think just to kind of switch gears a little bit, I know as I look around this table this year I see a lot more people here and I see even like a bit of a second row kind of outside the table even started. And I guess I just like to hear why why folks are are here again. We all have the choice. Why, why have we chosen this space? Why have we, over other things that we could be doing with our life, why are we, why are we here in this moment? What kept us here? What is the power of this, of this space that, that makes us want to do all these things? It's something I think a lot of people are, are, are interested in and kind of experimenting with. So I think some of Scott's listeners would love to hear what, what caused us all to stay here. And even folks that just got here, you know, what, what, what made you show up? This is Karina. I came here two summers ago to work on Susanna's farm because I wanted to learn more about farming in Kentucky because I had in other parts of the country. 
and I had a wild notion of starting my own little farm on some family land in eastern Kentucky that I had a free home and, you know, it's free land to work on. And so I spent some time in Susanna's in here in Clear Creek and Berea and this wonderful community where everybody was so kind and uh, just a wonderful feeling, a great vibration. And I really enjoyed it here and I, and I left and I took off and for a year tried my best to do my own thing. <laughs> I've discovered trying to be a, a one woman army is very challenging, especially in very rural Eastern Kentucky. And I'm an herbalist. So I was trying to not only start my own little farm, but an herbal company. And they're not all that open to that out there. <laughs> and, uh, so while that was just struggling so much with that and my friends here, like, why don't you come here? You know, um, we do this all together, just a beautiful sense of community. And, and it really is. And I love that, you know, it's like, I've moved around a lot in my life and all over the country and been a little bit of a, a lone wolf, maybe a little eccentric, some might say, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but I feel so much more at home here and everybody's been so kind and embracing to me and give me a chance to do my own thing. And Bria in general is just more open to what I do. And, and I guess that's what has brought me here and what I'm doing here today. I feel, uh, when you were saying that and talking about your kind of being a lone wolf out in Eastern Kentucky now here, it's like, I, I think I can look around and I, I know I've seen just about everyone's name on a little package of herbs that's been in the, the closet or not closet, I guess the place bureau place we store food and herbs it says you know adam's healing tea you know <laughs> so it's like it's now now your skills have a context you know and, and and i think we're all very appreciative for that especially when lauren's bleeding or you know <laughs> it's it's been nice to feel useful i guess and helpful i really i do enjoy that and you know it's nice that people trust me and they come to me like help me i'm having this little problem or whether it's a regular problem or yeah, somebody's has, you know, bleeding in a horrible <laughs> skin flap situation, you know, <laughs> um, uh, whatever it might be, I'll always do my best to, to do whatever I can to help remedy the situation. Like I said, I'm coming into permaculture for the first time in this way, at least a intensive permaculture community, but I've been living in town in an apartment actually. And I've been using it as a bit of a social experiment. And the first thing that really gets me is that life in, in, in town, I'll call it. We'll just say it this way. Life in town is, is so individualized. Everything has its own little pod. Each individual pod has pods which extend out of those pods. And, and, and then we go to some place and we get our things and we come back and we spend our time in our pods. I rarely have a conversation with anybody, anybody outside of my roommate. I see people walking dogs all the time and they, they don't even look up. Then I come to a place like this. Actually, I, I stumble into a place like this, really. And everything seems to work out to get me here. And, and then I find that I'm, I'm caulking the side of a building and someone's playing the piano inside the building here. And, and, I, and my whole work period, for like two hours of my work period, is somebody's playing piano. And sometimes I'm... I see, I have this really vivid image one summer of all of the mamas, they were all still pregnant and they were all sitting on the porch, like peeling snow peas, I think. And they were, they were chatting and, and making ice cream. That's what it was. Yeah. Classic pregnant mother. Right. 
<laughs> it was good ice cream. It was like the rest of the day was about ice cream. And I just remember in the, there was a moment where I really was, I was just appreciating so much seeing the women of our community together, just together. And I got to just witness that. And I don't get to see this anywhere else where people are not in, intentionally coming together. And, and so it's just beautiful. And that seems like enough. 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration, you know? And, and even in some places, they bump it up to 2% inspiration. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes it gets that way. So I, I see that in a place like this. So that draws me in. And, and to be honest, uh, you can ask me to do anything. I'll do the dirtiest job you want so long as I just get to be here and, and really be present while I'm doing that job. Thank you, Joseph. That's really beautiful. I'm Joana. I'm with the Push Crew. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I just recently moved to the States from Portugal, the country where I'm from. And um, it's actually a place in Europe where um, the permaculture movement is gaining a lot of momentum really fast. And uh, it's beautiful to move to the other side of the world and see the same movement growing. I was just talking with Ziggy over, over our lunch that like this feels a lot like home and this feels like the same energy as the intentional communities I live with in Portugal. And people are wanting to do the same things and so many beautiful people coming together, so diverse with so many different skills and wanting to share and wanting to learn and wanting to really do this with not much background. And uh, it gives a beautiful sense of community, but also a global community that it's like growing really fast. And I want to thank Scott a lot for like being one of those people who bind us together with that out there you know the rest of the world and yeah like sharing this beautiful phenomenon it's kind of like almost a fermentation of humanity we are on that transition moment where like all over the world we're like trying and wanting to do a change and it, it is happening clearly and every day i see new faces and new people and this is amazing thank you all yeah if we as a community were a fermented good, what would we be? Actually, probably mead would be a very good one. A <laughs> little bit sloppy. Well, it's honey. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this is, this is Adam. I'm here because I love life. And like all of us here, we all want to be more intimate with all the things that we do like with building, with growing our food, fermenting mead, making sauerkraut, like it's all just like a way of loving life. And if one of Susanna's new interns, something, what, what brought you here to the Clear Creek? Not to put you on the spot or anything. <laughs> this is Patrick. Um, I guess similar to Leah and Ziggy, uh, I'm from more of a suburban background and haven't really ever I've been here for a week and I haven't really ever felt the kind of connections even just today meeting all these new faces that I felt in the suburban area um, and there's already a lot of comfort with meeting all these new faces and that's something that's really new to me and I'm really excited about permaculture to me at first it was a food growing inspiration but hearing all the natural building and all of the facets of 
of permaculture is really exciting and gives me a lot of hope. Let me get that microphone for a second. Uh, I, my name is Ben. I, I'm working at Susanna's place for the season. And uh, I came from, I was living in a kind of uh, disorganized homestead uh, situation before this, so it wasn't complete. It wasn't a mega change for me to go to Susanna's, but uh, I just uh, really appreciate being at a spot that's trying really hard to do the whole permaculture sustainable living thing. I know a lot of us that have lived in cities in more industrialized spots, being, they say, being green all the time, and that means like there's like a penguin on your soap bottle, or you like carpool to the mall or something like that. And then, like, everybody pats themselves on the back for, like, an hour afterwards. So seeing the systems in place, like, composting toilets and not relying on products from Home Depot for nutrients and actually growing staple crops is really impressive for me. And I'm excited to learn about that because so much uh, the time people are just doing the the green thing where it's, like, you're really only skimming a few percent of your consumption off the top um, as opposed to attacking it completely. That's uh, been cool for me, I guess. Uh, no, great. Thanks for sharing. There's a lot of uh, Susanna's interns that stayed around here and are in this room right now. <laughs> for me, I guess, I haven't, I haven't spoken, shared my opinion. I think this is exactly, exactly true, what you said. We're all trying to make this happen. We're, we're giving it the best we got. And, and we're going to just see what, we, what comes from that. And I, and I couldn't be more thankful to uh, be doing this with um, the faces that I look at looking back at me right now in this room. I'm Brooke, so I'm a visitor to the creek today. Uh, we were in the area, and we really love eastern Kentucky. Sam and I are both from Louisville, Kentucky, and Sam has traveled a whole lot all over the world. And I've kind of gotten stuck in Kentucky, but in a good way. <laughs> I, uh, whenever I have an opportunity to take some time off of work, I always end up exploring Kentucky. And it's because I really feel like it's a, a really special place. And there's a lot of stuff that's forgotten from generations. And so I feel like my job is to preserve that and hopefully pass it on. So it's really beautiful what's going on here. It's awesome. Great, thanks. And I, and I see you have your shoes off. So <laughs> of you're doing something right. <laughs> Does anybody have anything else to say? Now that I've been off and spent the last bit of time sitting in my van reading bedtime stories to my children, it's kind of a delight to come back in and to see the way that things had gone since I walked out to do that and to wish Susanna goodbye. Because it sounds, Eric, as if you know a, a lot more about the format of my show than I do. Because you actually wound up taking things from the sound of it exactly where I had intended to when I returned. So uh, thank you all f who took part in that. I'm really looking forward to being able to sit down then and edit this kind of blind, not knowing what was said or what you've done to my show in this time. But I'm glad that you, you took that opportunity so that I could continue another tradition of my own that's been developed since, since I came here and really learned what it was to value family, that which is given to us, that which we create, that which we choose, which is something that I feel that for the other Eric and I, we found here the first time when we came to Kentucky. Mm. And there's a reason why we keep returning. And everything you're doing here is beautiful and I'm thankful for all the new faces and others who I've only gotten to know in little bits and pieces here and there. 
So thank you all for being a part of this tonight in my presence and in my absence. So a round of applause to all of you. Thank you. And that was everyone at Clear Creek. I'd like to thank all of them for joining me that day and to give a special thank you to Eric Perrow for allowing me to continue a tradition of my own when he agreed to sit in the host's chair. Stepping away from this, I'm left thinking about that piece about what it means to live and work together in community, in particular when Ziggy asked the question, how do we maintain happiness with the people that are around us even in times of difficulty or even in times that are challenging to those relationships? And also, as he pointed out, how that can be the hardest part of community for all of us. Gardening and the on-the-ground work is pretty well known. It's straightforward. But navigating these social, economic, and sometimes political issues are a much harder piece of the puzzle. The challenge of doing this and experiencing it directly and finding solutions is part of why I moved into community at Seppi's place. Though we've only been here for a few months, there is an ongoing struggle to answer these questions. And we keep returning to them. I'm finding that living in community takes a lot of time, especially when we're trying to navigate all of the other obligations and responsibilities that we have. I'm also reminded that we're not the push or Clear Creek or the Possibility Alliance. And so those of us who form Seppi's Place have to work through things differently and find our own solutions. As Eric mentioned Maslow's hierarchy of needs, there is a common thread that's forming that kind of creates our basis for the Seppi's Place hierarchy of community needs, which are roles, boundaries, and traditions. As we live into this and spend more time together, our roles are what makes living with one another function. These are simple things, like I'm the regular dishwasher, Eric cooks, and we both water and weed the garden, Seppi knows all the mechanical systems and takes care of them. We all clean, each picking up different things on different days as kind of a chore chart emerges to ensure we cover the everyday basics. These roles form the foundation of our pyramid. The next step up are boundaries that arise from filling our roles and talking about our personal and community needs. Some that have been created so far include ensuring that certain spaces are kept separate as part of our family area, because Seppi and I both have younger children. And so that space is usable by the household, but we ask people not to enter them when we have public gatherings. Not entirely off limits. You know, we don't have a door that we lock or anything like that to close people out, but there are some signs up and we make requests of people when they come to join our community for a while. Something else that we have is that Sunday is generally our family day, time to spend with our children and to rest and retreat from our other work. The next layer up are our traditions, and these take a lot of time to develop and live into in a natural, unforced way. We found that trying to make things happen and to create traditions directly through process didn't really work. It wasn't functional and it felt weird and awkward, as if it wasn't what was supposed to be. But as we continue to just do things that we enjoy and invite others to come in with us, they become something regular and routine. Some of those include that Friday night we have a dinner for our household members and extended chosen family and then we have another potluck on saturday in the evening that is open to the broader community anybody who wants to come and eat can come join us we make posts about this in public spaces such as the seppi's place facebook page where people can find out what's going on and join us 
We also have play and learn days, a kind of informal work and Skillshare day, on Saturdays ahead of the potluck. Tying our roles, boundaries, and traditions together are occasional community and household meetings, sometimes facilitated, sometimes just run by a simple agenda, to talk about what's going on and make sure that everyone is still having their needs met and that things are flowing smoothly. If not, then we step back to re-examine our roles, boundaries, and traditions to see if there's something we can do to make things right. This is what's happening here in the community that we call Seppi's Place. What about those of you who are currently living in community with others? What are some of the ways that you work together to take care of each other and handle the challenges of those relationships? If you want to live in community, what are some of the questions that you have for those who are already living this way? What are some of your concerns about making the jump from where you are to this kind of a space? If you have answers to those questions, get in touch. I'd like to continue to explore these ideas of community building with you. The phone number is 717-827-6266, and you can email me, show at thepermaculturepodcast.com. As always, if digital means are not your preferred way to reach me, you can also drop something in the mail, as I, I really do like receiving cards and postcards and notes and letters from folks. And I have a box where I collect all of those and sit down and read through them from time to time. That address is the Permaculture Podcast, P.O. Box 16, Dauphin, Pennsylvania, 17018. As we wrap up, this is the last episode before the Mid-Atlantic Permaculture Convergence at the Riverside Project outside of Charlestown, West Virginia. I'm looking forward to seeing you there, and if you haven't picked up your tickets yet, please do. As last I heard from Emma, we only have six tickets left. You can get those at midatlanticpermacultureconvergence.eventbrite.com. On the next episode, Dr. Talia Fletcher joins me to talk about how to choose a veterinarian who has a holistic approach to animal medicine. Until then, spend each day creating the world that you want to live in by taking care of Earth, yourself, and each other.